We would like to begin by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land in which we record this podcast today, the Arakwal people of the Bunjalong Nation, and pay our respects to Elders past and present. Hello, yummy mummies. Welcome to Beyond the Bump, a podcast brought to you by Jade Caldwell and Sophie Pierce. This podcast is targeted at mums, mums-to-be and women in general. And gents, feel free to have a listen too. It's a place to have real discussions and ask real questions, no matter how hard, with honest and authentic people. The aim is to have you feeling lighter, more supported and more understood after every listen. Now, we can't promise that it will always be kept PG, so please be mindful around little ears. Here Here we go. go. Hello, Jay. Hello, Sophie and all our bumpies listening. How are you this week? We've had a bit on since we last chatted. We've been on TV. To our beautiful, I don't think anyone could have missed that memo. (laughs) (laughs) We planted it all over social media. We've had a bit on since we last spoke to our beautiful bumpies, but I feel like in general, I've been very, very well. How are you? I am good. I We have had a busy seven days. We've had a busy seven <laughs> days. I feel like you've had a busy whole year, but you did a lot of fun things over the weekend. Yes. How was that? Well, it was so great. So obviously last week, last Monday, we flew to Sydney, Jade and I, for the night. We went on Today Extra on Tuesday morning. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Have I got my days Don't right? Know. Which was an absolute blast. We, well, I was so nervous. Jade, for some reason, was not really nervous at all, but it was so much fun. And one of those things that we were only on air for four minutes. And when it ended, I was like, keep talking to me. I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to leave. Um, it had so much fun. It was a bit of a funny time because I was a little bit off beforehand. I'd spoken about how the week before I'd had gastro, I got my period back for the first time postpartum. I'd had this bit of anxiety. And I think part of that anxiety was the nerves of being on TV. And I we'd had to reset schedule us going on TV because of my bout of gastro as well and move it into a much busier, like the week was already quite busy. And then we had to move this quick trip to Sydney into that week. And I think I was just feeling like, oh, fuck, there's just a lot on at the moment. And my eldest daughter, Poppy, was having a hard time with it. And I was explaining to Jade that I think that when you're in the baby toddler stage, you kind of tell yourself, oh, once they're able to converse with me and explain what's going on, like motherhood will be so much easier. And it's actually quite fitting with today's episode that's Mm. about tweens because I feel like you get, oh, once my child's a tween, like I barely have to parent, but it just shows you that parenting changes throughout all the stages, but it's still just as important. And the morning that I was going to Sydney, Poppy was really, really upset. And I think the most upsetting part was she could tell me exactly why she was upset. And it wasn't like I could do that thing that sometimes you do when you've got a toddler and you go, oh, they're just hungry. Oh, they're just tired. Oh, you know, they've just had a bit on. Like she literally said to me, mom, I don't want you to go to Sydney. She did not care that I had to go for work. And she said, I want to have time with you. I want a mummy poppy day. And so there was no ifs, ands or buts about it. Like she was able to just look me in the eye and basically say, you've been working too much. You've been away too much. I miss you and I need you. And I think that in our family, because we divvy up 
they're parenting quite evenly and the girls are totally happy with Nick. I think sometimes, I think, I mean, it's good because it means I don't feel guilty that often, but I think sometimes I'm just like, it doesn't matter if I'm away Mm. because Nick's there and they're fine with Nick. But Poppy obviously really needed me and that really played on my mind and she was saying to me, you know, I, I I want you, I want a day just with you and then I'm sitting there looking ahead at my diary and Nick and I were going back to Sydney on the weekend, just the two of us for a weekend away that was already booked in and I just felt so shit because the next break or anything that I could have with her was Tuesday, which would be the day that this episode comes out and yeah, I don't know. It's just, I just felt really bad that she was able to tell me exactly what she wanted and I wasn't able to give that to her. And anyway, we, Nick and I, as you said, we also went away on the weekend. We had an absolute ball. Poppy ended up having an absolute ball with my mum. The kids were on their freaking best behaviour. Pearl only woke up once each night for my mum. So I think now if I ever complain about my kids to my mum, she's going to turn around and be like, mate, I had them on my own for over 48 hours and they were absolutely fine. Um, They're always better with the grandparents. They are so much better. And, you know, they were at my mum's place, so it was like different toys. Mum was just like, Goldie literally just plays on her own all day long. I'm like, does she? (laughs) Does she really? But, yeah, really special weekend for Nick and I, just able to – connect again and just I don't know not be in a rush we went out for dinner one night and the booking wasn't till 9 30 p.m I had a nap before dinner because there was no way I was going to make it through but yeah I must admit I started this week feeling not great and I've ended the week feeling fantastic oh well that's so good to hear now I am going to talk about something that happened during last week. Sophie and I were in Sydney Mm -hmm. and we were sleeping in the same bed because one, I don't like sleeping on my own and two, as in like... We're not balling that much yet. We're (laughs) booking two separate (laughs) hotel rooms. That as well. Anyway, so we were sitting in bed and Sophie is like... She's only got knickers on, so she was just naked. And then I had a T-shirt and some tracksuit pants on. And I looked at her and she had a Kindle in her hand. And I was like, are you naked? And she's like, oh, I've got my undies on. And then she looked at me and I had a book in my hand. And she's like, do you sleep fully clothed? I was just like, you're not getting into bed with that much clothing <laughs> on, are you? I'm like, yeah. I go, I don't sleep naked. She goes, I fully thought you would be a naked sleeper. And I'm like, no. I said, Harry and I, we are fully clothed. It's like we are grandparents. We love to be warm. I don't wear socks. I think anyone that wears socks asleep is just crazy. My friend the other day told me she wears socks every night to bed and I was like, you are a psychopath. No, that is. It's like people yeah. who don't like cats and dogs. I don't. Yeah, I, I like cats. I know. Not sure about yeah. dogs still. Yeah. Uh, definitely don't sleep in socks. Okay, so, well, that's so all right. I get that You're point. in the clear for yeah. a bit. Anyway, so I we kind of like we're umming and ahhing. It's like I wonder what the percentage out there is. And we will put it to the Facebook group. How many of you sleep with clothes and how many of you like to sleep nude? Okay, I know that there is a buffer because I did put this out on social media and there was a bit of a clause when you have kids 
you like to wear clothes because you have to get up all the time throughout Nick the night. did say, so my husband is also a naked sleeper. He's only very recently in his life started wearing undies full stop. Oh, wow. Yeah. He had to wear them after his vasectomy to just have a bit of cradling because, yeah, you know, the, the balls were a bit tender. So yeah. he's actually just recently kind of got into wearing undies, which welcome welcome to the world, Nick, at yeah. 33 years of age. But he's a naked sleeper. But I was having this conversation with him when we came back from Sydney. And when Pearl was waking up a lot overnight, he started wearing either undies or like, you know, some little bottoms to bed um, because he did feel a bit strange getting up and rocking her back to sleep completely stark. (laughs) But I just think it's a really interesting thing because I would just never think to put clothes on to get into bed. And for those of you out there who don't know this about Jade, Jade runs hot all the time and this is not a judgment she we live in a hot part of the world and she doesn't have aircon in her house so I was just like how do you have no aircon live in this climate it's the middle of winter and we're recording and you're sweating your ass off how the hell do you sleep in tracksuit pants and with Harry next to you also in his tracksuit well the other thing to this and I, I came back home and I said to Harry hey you know how we just, we sleep with clothes on. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And we kind of looked at each other. We'd be like, if we, if we had no clothes on, we'd just have sex all the time. Would you? No, but then we were like (laughs) laughing going, oh, what a bad problem it would be. But then we were kind of like, we, I don't know. We have never, ever slept nude. Tell me about this. So you guys get into bed. Yeah. You have sex. Yeah. Would you roll over and put your clothes back on? Well, get up, go to the toilet brush your teeth, and back into bed. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, definitely, always. Mm. Yeah, mm. fully closed. Anyway. <laughs> anyway, so the other thing I, I forgot to ask and yeah. I felt a bit rude afterwards, did you feel uncomfortable that I was sleeping so close to you with so little on? Not I at probably all. should have said, are you comfortable with this? No, it was fine, but did you feel uncomfortable that I was fully clothed? <laughs> No, but I will tell you, Jade loves a little spoon in the middle of the night. It wasn't like a spoon. It was just a little like like you were trying to be little spoon. And I was like, I'm not going to be big spoon to you when I'm this minimally dressed. Hang on, I was trying to be little spoon. You would kind of like back in the butter. Oh, yeah. yeah. I kind of do do that. Yeah, whereas I can't sleep touching. Yeah, and also you don't have what I need. So (laughs) (laughs) And that was very apparent because I didn't have much on. Anyway, let us know in the Facebook page. We're asking the big questions this week. What do you sleep in? I've got a mum hack. Okay, this came to Greta, my sister-in-law, and me at the same time yesterday and our minds were blown. We were sitting talking about our books because now I've got her onto this book that I've been loving and we were like, oh, you know, you can only do it when you've got your kids occupied. Next minute, Yumi wanted to FaceTime Cav. So they went off and showed like they were FaceTiming their toys and talking about all these things. I start reading my book. And I Are you and Greta in the same location? Or no, different no, no, no. She's at her home, oh. like in the Gold Coast. Yeah. And I'm here and I'm like, I'm reading my book and Yumi's not asking and interrupting me. And then I go to her and she goes, wait, 
Are you, I'm folding washing without people telling me what to do. I go, this is this is a hack. If you just call their friend and hand the phone to them, they can't see what they're doing because they've <laughs> probably got it face down or up into their chin, but they're having a grand time thinking they're big people, FaceTiming. It was a game changer. I had a full, I reckon, they went for 15 minutes. Wow, and I would love to see footage of that 15 minutes because it would have just been forehead on oh, it would forehead. Have been horrendous. It would have, and you'd left you, it would have left you feeling like motion sick. Yeah, yuck. It would have been horrible. Poor calves. Let's get into today's episode because mm. this one has been a real interesting one for me because it's all about tweens. And when we decided to do it, I thought, oh, yeah, we'll do this for Jade. You know, she needs some help in her tween stage. Yeah. I thought I wouldn't be interested in it. It wouldn't relate to me. I have told that many people about this episode since we recorded it. I've thought about it so much. I've already called Nick and said, I know you don't listen to us much, but you have to listen (laughs) to this episode. I was listening back to the draft of it and I was just like, I loved, I got so much from this episode. I'm glad that you did. And I'd like to say to everyone, I know you've all got toddlers and babies and or you're pregnant or you're, you're pregnant, not even pregnant or yet. whatever it is. But I I know I'm a little bit in front of a lot of people that are listening, our listeners. I have older kids, but I feel like I'm the gateway of <laughs> getting you guys like well prepared and giving the information like I needed this information five <laughs> years ago. You guys are going to get it well before you need it. And it's going to be a freaking game James changer. Yeah. You make all the yes. mistakes. And you guys reach the right your kids and then we come <laughs> yes. along and go, we're not going to do that. Let's get educated. But this episode, Tweens, is an absolute game changer. It was really insightful for me having an eight-year-old. No, wait, how old are they? A nine-year-old and a ten-year-old and a four-and-a-half-year-old that is pretty much nine and ten. So I love the chat. Mm. And we hope you guys do too. Yeah, we hope you enjoy. And if you don't, good on you. <laughs> Hello, Michelle, and welcome to Beyond the Bump today. Before we get started, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what we're going to be chatting about? Oh, I'm so excited to be here. I'm, I guess what you'd call a parenting educator, which is pretty hilarious because my kids have never referred to me as that. (laughs) (laughs) Neither of mine. (laughs) It cracks me up actually, but they're 24 and 22 now. But I started my career in teaching and then I founded a charity for 20 years and I've worked alongside of families for 20 years. And now I write and speak and just try and use my experience to help families. Now, we are going to be chatting about tweens today. And Jade is chomping at the bit because this is something that she has <laughs> requested for such a long time. And I think I've been a bit apprehensive because I was like, no, you know, our listenership, they're pregnant. They've just had barbs. It's too soon to talk about tweens. Well, can I tell you, since having my third girl, if one more person warns me about the tween and teen years, so I want to listen and find out what am I actually in for? What can I rebut and just say, shut up? (laughs) I also just want to say that, you know, there are a lot of people out there that do have tweens and teens. And I know that this is primarily, you know, about pregnancy and birth and a lot of toddler stuff, but we are beyond the bump. So I am beyond the bump. (laughs) I am heading into those tween years. I've got a nine-year-old and a, a 10 year old going on 20 years old. And I'll be honest, it scares the living shit out of me. And I feel like there is a lot of resources and information out there for toddlerhood and young kids, but I feel like it almost goes dark by the time it gets to this age. 
Yeah. I think a lot of parents who have tweens don't even realize they have tweens. That word tween actually conjures up the image of like they're starting high school or they're 12 years old. But we now know that puberty is not this unitary event that happens at 11 and 12 years old. It's this cascade of emotional changes that starts as early as eight and nine years old. And a lot of parents are looking at their kids thinking, oh, my kid's changing or what's wrong with them? And they're not understanding the development that's happening behind the scenes in their life. So if you think of tweens anywhere from, say, nine to 12, it gives you a better idea of the kids that we're talking about. And this is why I wanted to have you on, because it is such an important discussion and for parents to understand with these hormonal, you know, highs and lows, I was like, I had no idea when my my eldest turned eight or nine that this is a normal process for a tween. But you're a bit like, what happened? Yeah, you can to hear her? in our you can <laughs> you can hear in our episodes that I'm like, there's something going wrong. Do, does she need to see a psychologist? Am I being a bad parent? Like, what is going on? How can I help it? But the way that I actually started to understand is my middle child, she's 16 months younger you start to see the exact same thing that happens. You set an alarm. You're like, oh, this date, she's going to turn. It's like clockwork. And it's the it's the timing and tempo that happens differently for every kid. And I know that parents start booking into the school teacher for an appointment to say, is there anything happening at school? Are they yes. getting bullied because their behavior is changing? My son hit puberty hard quite early. He grew about a foot in a year, but he was changing so much on the inside as well. So it's not just the physical changes we're looking at. We're looking at emotional, social, sexual, we don't like to talk about that one, and cognitive changes. And it's all happening in the same life-altering way. And my son read my book when I wrote it, my dear 24-year-old, and he said, mum, that was me. And he said, I wondered what happened to you. I thought that you had changed overnight. Yeah. And I, and I didn't know that it was actually me now looking back, it seems ridiculous. But at the time I thought that something weird had happened to you. Can I just say, I know you said we don't like talking about it, but this is a place where we do like talking about the uncomfortable. And I think that the more we speak about the uncomfortable, especially when it comes to tweens and teens, is going to make us more prepared for when they do go through these times. Because my oldest child, she went through around eight or nine this anxiety period socially. She kind of didn't know where she sat. She didn't know what she was doing. And for me, I thought she's got my anxiety. It's it's a problem that's come from me. Mm. And obviously I'm going to be there as much as I can, but I've really now started to understand that this is just a sort of life cycle that you nurture with them. And then they flourish. I couldn't have said that better myself. It's so beautiful because we're allowing them their own journey and not having to sort of jump in and diagnose or fix things too quickly and recognizing that development comes in gusts and all of those parts of them like social, emotional, sexual, they all change at different times. So this is a rapid stage of growth. It's chaotic for them. And me. So what what, what is actually happening? Like why is there change? Okay, their brain needs to accept 
expand as much as it possibly can before the teenage years. So it's like a tree growing and blooming and trying to reach out and discover itself as much as it can before it heads into those teenage years where it wants to specialize and become this unique human being. So in in this kind of stage of their life, growth is on steroids, you know, and they, they really need to expand as much as they can. So how do we allow that and and leave space for that? How can we encourage that to happen? One of the biggest things is they need their own voice. And sometimes when we've invested in ballet lessons for 10 years and then all of a sudden (laughs) they say they want to play rugby. (laughs) Very true. Yeah, what their brain's doing is wanting to expand into different territory and they're wanting to see themselves in a different light. They start doing something called perspective taking a lot easier as well, which I think is really interesting because they can start to put themselves in the shoes of others, other people. And for the very first time, they might discover that someone doesn't like them, whereas when you're little, you think everyone loves you. But there's this heightened sensitivity that comes with it as well and they get so much feedback from their teachers and their coaches at this age. So that sort of all hits them at once while they're trying to grow and expand. It's insane, isn't it? Like I, with my oldest child, was going through the motions of, you know, her not gelling with someone. And I think even as a parent, I mean, I'm an adult now, so I've really understood that, you know, you you don't have to be friends with everyone. There are going to be people that are very similar to you that you just don't really like and that's okay. But they're growing and not understanding that in a classroom, how come she doesn't like me and I don't like her? And we've really had to sit down and and even with the teacher, get them to understand that even though you're not getting along, you don't have to be nasty. You don't have to be mean. This is just a normal feeling to have and you can move on. But they don't know any of this. So it's kind of like bringing yourself back to when you were a little child and remembering you are a blank canvas that knows absolutely nothing, but we've known all this for years and you forget that they're so little that, yeah, they've got no idea at all. Absolutely. And their social development is so important at this age. And the diversity within a classroom, you can put kid, two kids side by side and the, the developmental differences mm. can put them in two totally different universes. So they can be sort of friends through prep and grade one and two and three, but all of a sudden one starts growing and changing in a different way. And it makes for so much, I guess, transitions in friendships. And that is hectic for kids. Mm. So it's a big, I guess, skill building time for parents. I think it's recognizing that they are that blank canvas and they don't know how to respond. And oftentimes they respond by saying, you're my bestie or you're my, you're my enemy. It's in or out yeah. because they don't yeah. have the gray skills that they need. Is this generally an age that they want to all just blend in? Because I feel like it was around this age where you just didn't want any differences to anyone else. And it was interesting. I was having a discussion with one of my friends the other night and her son is in that stage, as you were saying, where he is, I guess, more of a late bloomer and he has some friends that literally look 17 and then there's Mm. some that still look like children, as you said. And he is just like 
hating that because he feels so young and so behind. But then I also think the ones that probably look 17, they probably hate that too. And that's very research-based. So ones that bloom late or early tend to be at higher risk of struggling with their mental health during puberty because they feel different. Back to your question, um, kids tend to want to fit in a lot more when they're teenagers because they want to belong. Right. And just before this time, in this preteen time, they get quite competitive. It's all about the pecking order. Have you noticed that they all want to win the trophy and they all want to come oh, first? Well, I still do, but anyway. Yeah. <laughs> but I feel like this is the first time that there often is trophies. I feel like before this, it's very like, oh, just participate. Oh, the whole class wins. Absolutely. Oh, and then you get to this age and all of a sudden it's like, nah, you're old enough to deal with winning and losing. <laughs> Absolutely. And yeah. all this feedback dumped on them. I mean, everyone's commenting about their changing body every two seconds. They're getting marks back at school. We're having an opinion about what they should do with their life at this stage as well. So they've got so much feedback coming on this really quickly changing person. Yeah. And I think anxiety is a big one as well. Uh, not every child goes through it, but my eldest, who I keep talking about, she went through a stage and she, like, I'll just say is flourishing at the moment. I don't know what's going on at 10, but 10 is fabulous. Nine was a little bit of a struggle, but God, you go that year after and you're like, boom, I've got it. I feel like and I've done like, it. And you're like, yay, the one that's 16 months behind yeah. is just about oh, to go worry. into it. She's cracking. Press the pause button. Pause. pause. She's screaming. Yeah. She's throwing brushes. It's all happening. But I feel going back to the anxiety conversation, we had to nurture that because she didn't want to go into the school without crying. And I had to work out, is it a teacher? Is it a student? Like these are the things that a parent starts panicking about. Is there more to it than what we think it is? And in this circumstance, it wasn't. It was just a simple issue with one friend that made her feel so uncomfortable. And I remember we had someone on here who was fabulous. And she just said the morning of or the night before, preempt them and say, I really think that you're going to be absolutely fine tomorrow. Like I think that you're going to get out of the car, you're going to walk in that gate and you're going to have a fabulous day. And it's shifting their mentality. And I nearly cried the other day. Mia said to me as she was starting back at school this term, she said, mum, I think I'm going to have the best last term of my life this year and next year is going to be even better. And her, like, just think about how far she's come from the start of this year to hearing that Uh is just, I got goosebumps. And can you see how incredibly influenced they are at this age? Mm. Like you're their life source. So you saying that to them and giving them that reassurance and walking them through it and helping them with a few skills, now's the time to intervene. When they're 14 and 15, they're likely to mm. flip you off. They're, they're likely <laughs> to not want to, they're not mm. going to want to do it with you the same way. They're yeah. going to be looking for other lighthouses in their life and other support people. But right now they're looking for security from you and the research tells us if kids are struggling with their mental health now is the most adaptive time in their life they go towards the light so you become a big part of that light in their life but right now their brain's most adaptive to learn the skills it needs to to kind of um, stay strong and healthy and to keep balanced what are some of those red flags? Because I guess as Jade was saying, like in her own experience, there wasn't anything major, but when everything is changing all at once, what are things we should be looking out for going 
oh, okay, maybe this isn't just a normal tween development. Yep. We scan our kids, don't we? And there's filters. And we know when they're hungry, how they behave and when they're tired. And when things get outside of that box, that's when we lean in and we start to ask the really appropriate questions that we need to ask. Is there anything I could be missing? And one of the things that the kids in the survey really brought to my attention is they kept saying that their parents were missing stuff. And I think it's really easy at 8, 9, 10, 11 to think that they're not going through big challenges mm. when really maybe there's a lot of conflict at school, there's bullying, maybe there's some like sort of romance talk that's getting a little bit out of control and they don't know how to handle it. And we can really be missing some of those heavier duty issues if we don't lean in and ask. I think parents need to trust that gut instinct. They know their kids. And sometimes at this age, only time is going to tell how it's set. But while time is telling, it's so important that we ask the questions and sometimes at night when they're vulnerable or when yeah. they're, you know, they've had a really bad day and they're feeling a little like, you know, open hearted, yeah. that's when they're going to open up. So what are some other tips of having that conversation with them? Because it is really hard to, like they can be embarrassed or they don't know how to articulate it. But when you feel like something's off, how else besides, you know, just before they go to bed, can we get into that safe space? Because I know they say, and I don't know who they are, but <laughs> they say that the best thing we can do is have a really good trusting relationship. So your child always feels that they are safe to tell you everything. So whether that's they've got a boyfriend, they've got a period, they're going to have sex, like that's where I would like to be. But yeah. it's really hard to know where to start. But I think that's what's so important about this age is I think as parents, we go, oh my gosh, like babies, toddlers, so immersed, so immersed. And then we think about teen years and we're like, we're going to be so involved because we want to know when they're having sex and we want to know if they're drinking. And this in-between is just forgotten, but this I don't is know it. what you're going to say, but this is probably it when the foundations are laid. I mean, of course, there's going to be foundations earlier too, but you can't expect to just, I guess, go fully out and then got, come fully back in and be their safe comfort person when they're older. If we've you know, left them on their own during this time. You two are all over it. Remind me to come back to the leg shaving story. Can we do that? And we'll start here, okay? I'm writing it in. Are you under the table? I'm feeling judged. (laughs) (laughs) It's been a busy couple of weeks, all right? (laughs) I think that's what happens is um, sometimes when they hit that 9, 10, 11, they're looking more competent and they're starting to be able to do you know, their shoelaces by themselves and pack their bag. And sometimes we've got younger ones as well who are demanding a lot of our attention. Mm. So there's something about saying to a child, my love is going to grow with you and for you. And I'm going to give that legs by making sure that's in the diary. And I'm going to open the door to this next season of your life by making sure that um, you and I have got some quality special time together, that you've got a voice in this house and how it operates, that I'm respecting your privacy and your growth. And those things, when, when we make an effort, I tell you what, 10, 11, 12-year-olds, they light up like a light bulb. 
like I am seen, I am noticed, you know, mum's got my back and um, they love spending time with their significant adults. As soon as an adult makes special time for them, they are all there and there is so much togetherness in this period if we allow it. I mean, you like when you listen to kids in shopping centres talk to their parents after school, honestly, it's just like a endless and then and then and then they'll talk as long as we will listen because they just adore us and we've got to sort of capitalize that and teach them to swim while they're still near the shore and not like way Mm. out in the waves Mm. and I think vice versa because I I see a therapist and she sometimes says to me Jade pull one of your kids out of school because not only will it benefit her to have a full on day with you, it will benefit you mentally. It will, it's something that you should do every now and then. And I know schools are like, don't have a day off unless they're sick. I'm with you. But yeah. this is something that is so important and they remember these moments and we don't get enough of them because we're so busy with life that even Sophie and I were talking about, like we just want that that little bit of time one-on-one because when you're at home, you got to talk demanding or a baby or an older one. It's like you never get that chance to have a open conversation. And they're so impressionable. And kids will come to me after, like if I teach sexual health in a classroom and they'll say, I don't know when to talk to my parents because they're Mm. always busy. So through the eyes of a child, they're still wanting to respect you. Like 14-year-olds won't be, but they're still wanting to (laughs) to love you. They're wanting for you to love them. They're wanting your, you know, your heart and your attention. And in some ways they modify themselves for you to show up for them the way they need you to. And we don't want that for our kids. We want we want them to know that if we need to put something down and mm-hmm. completely focus, then that we can do that. And that even in the busyness of life, that every time that we take them to netball practice or whatever it be, that we need to verbalize. That's you and my special time together that we get to talk about anything. So we're carving it out. We're carving it out. I've come to realize only recently that whenever Mia says to me, mum, and if I have a different reaction to, yep, if I say that, she'll go, oh, nothing. But if I say, yeah, what's up, babe? She'll continue. And it started to break my heart because I realized that it's almost she feels dismissed or she doesn't feel that I'm in a mood where I want to have a conversation with her. And she, she just goes, Oh, nothing. It's okay. And I don't know. It just makes me feel so sad that like, I'm so absorbed in something else that, but it's also like, yes, we can all do better, but life's busy. Like don't, don't also put on top of all these feelings, guilt, like life is busy and it's not always possible to take your child out and have a day. You know, like I just think at home, like there's a time it's, I, I, I'm not saying don't try and do better. Like, of course we should try and do better, but I also don't think that on top of these stresses, we also need the guilt of like, no, you're right. We've done this to I them. just think that I look at my children like little peace breaks. So whenever they ask me a question and I'm doing I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. I'm probably cleaning or cooking or working. But whenever they come to me, it's it's a break. It's a mental break. Stop what you're doing, Jade. Focus on something present and listen. And I have to get you better at this because this is actually something that is therapeutic to me, but mm. it's also doing so much for them. 
Yeah, they definitely test the waters. And I also don't think it hurts for them to have to regulate by themselves. And, you know, like, so there's this real balance. Mm. So I think in this day and age, we're so tuned into how our kids feel and we want to show up for every emotional moment, but that's not necessarily giving them the chance to stand on their own two feet either. So I really like the idea of taking the guilt off it, but making sure we've got those rituals and routines in place that they really do know they can connect with us regularly. Are we ready for the leg shaving story? Absolutely. Please do. Mum comes to me after one of my parent nights and she's crying and I'm thinking the world's coming to an end, you know, like her, her kid's really in trouble. And she said, Michelle, my daughter shaved her legs without telling me. <laughs> and she was expecting the whole leg shaving moment to be a real mother-daughter bonding experience. And her daughter had gone ahead and done it because she was hiding the fact that she was growing up and mm. she didn't want, to, she still wanted to be that little girl in her mum's eyes. And I think that sometimes our kids hide the fact that they want to reach beyond that because they don't want to be difficult teenagers or they don't want to disappoint us. So they want to pretend they're still kids. And this mum was just heartbroken. And I said, you know why she did that? She did that because she loves you so much that she actually actually wants to sort of just hide that she's growing up for a minute. And we talked about opening the door for growth and we talked about all the things that we've talked about right now. But kids go through two stages when they're tweens. They're still kids, you know, when they're very childlike Mm. and we're the centre of their universe. But the moment they start to edge into that almost a teenager territory where there's more back chat and they're starting to idolize people older than them. And some of our girls are saying, when can I get a push up bra or, you know, or foils or this kind of thing. Those almost teenage moves, they need more sleep. They're more grumpy. You know, we start to go, okay, we need to see that as development and not just slam it down as bad behavior. I think we need to get real close to our kids. Well, here we always like to say everything is developmental, so that's good to know. But when were you, how old were you when you first shaved your legs and did you ask your mum? Oh, I would have shaved my legs not because they needed shaving, just because everyone else was doing it. I was such a late bloomer. Like you look at pictures of me from when I was 16 and I look 12. Like I was the person that just wanted boobs so bad (laughs) while my friends were like, you know, breastfeeding is the first time I've ever had. And I think I really loved, I think the first time my postpartum body, because it was the first time I'd felt womanly. Like I'd never you know, I'd never had hips or boobs or anything, which I'm sure people listening is like, oh, woe is you. But all I wanted was boobs. And I, and I wanted, like if the first time I saw an underarm hair, I was like, yes. yes. And I was so happy when I got my period and I was so happy. So the first time I shaved my legs, they would not have even needed shaving. So no, I probably didn't tell my mum because there was probably nothing there to shave. I remember um, when I was 13, I was in year seven and I went to school in this brand new state and we moved from Melbourne to Sydney and all these girls had dresses on and they had their legs out and they were all looking at the hair on their legs and they started shaving their legs. So one day I went downstairs and my mum was on the phone. I'm like, mum's on the phone talking. She loves a gas bag. So this is my time to ask her. Yeah, I know. And I said, mum, she's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, can I shave my legs? And she sat for a second. She was like, yeah, I guess so. Like, 
uh, don't you want to do it for Easter? And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what do you mean? I'm like, I don't want to really. The Easter Bunny's not going to bring chocolate eggs unless you've got some. But she was kind of obviously trying to connect it to like a celebration, I guess. That's how she was sort of thinking. I was like, she snorted. I don't even know if mum remembers this, but I, I love that. I, don't you want to save it for Easter? Yeah. <laughs> that wraps it up, doesn't it? We're it waiting does. to celebrate these moments. And for them, they can be awkward and embarrassed and uncomfortable. And is this going to be okay? So many kids say, I don't want to ask my mum because I don't want her to think I'm rude. And like, and it can be the most basic of questions about mm. their bodies or about sex, but they don't want to not be seen as a child anymore. My near six-year-old just lost her first tooth and after having this discussion, I think I may have gone on about it a bit too much. (laughs) I think I need to stop telling her that I'm upset that she's growing up or else she will be that person that will be like, I can't tell mum I'm going through this development because she's going to be a weirdo and cry about it. And look, how do we teach them to react when everyone's commenting about their body 24-7? It's so true. What do we do in those circumstances? Especially at this impressionable age. It's such an impressionable age. And I think too, like, you know, aunties and like family members, we can think that we've got a stake in all of our nieces and nephews and we can you know compare our life to theirs and they're 11 and they're hearing our horror stories and I'm mm-hmm. just and you know kids can just get really overwhelmed by it but I think it's really good to teach kids to be assertive but also be a bit of a mama bear if they're not up to that we want them to start speaking and using their voice and talking to adults on their own and and even saying hey need a bit of space today to an adult or uh, yeah. how about we let's not go there again you know yeah. just give them some like cute kind of cheeky lines that they can they can use but if they're really not up to it and some kids aren't when they're struggling with a bit of anxiety or they're overwhelmed or someone's just talking about your body and that's fucking awkward and it's way too much (laughs) yeah there is nothing wrong with being a bit of a mama bear and stepping in the middle of that I remember my mum doing that for me I was tiny like like and I mean tiny I looked like I was probably seven But like you, I probably was emotionally and cognitively quite developed. So there was Mm. this mismatch between how I physically looked and my mental capacity and probably my, Mm. you know, social and emotional development. And people would think I'm a child and talk down to me. My mum would get in the car with me and rip them to shreds. (laughs) Like a doctor offered my mum growth steroids once for me. She told me he was the biggest idiot that had ever worked the earth and there was nothing wrong with me. And, you know, like she just had my back. And I think there is moments when they're twins where they actually need us to be that. On the weekend, Mia said to me, she came into the room and she goes, mum, when did you get your period? I go, I was, wait, have you got your period? And she goes, no. She goes, no. But she goes, oh, my God, you thought I had my period. But I was like, instantly I thought, holy shit, when do you prepare your child, your daughter, for a period? When should we have those things in their bag? I mean, I got my period when I was 13 on my birthday. It's like, surprise. When did you get your period? Around 13. Okay. Yeah. But when should, like, when is the time to have that conversation, feel comfortable, have the little pack in their bag? That's so cute. And you know how we're talking about cognitive development? There's a time where our tweens are a bit more childlike and they're going to accept information just as facts. Like, this is just information 
information. This is just more science. And there's not as much values and feelings assigned to it all. If we can get in early and give them mm. a bit of an information update, early often is is a really good idea. Mm. Once they start getting a little bit more self-conscious and epping towards that almost a teenager stage, we really have to, I think, drip feed, respect where they're at and be sensitive to where they're at. And I find that once you start opening conversation, come and keep asking questions and you can keep the conversation going. But I think sometimes we try and do too much too late and it gets really overwhelming for a child that's feeling really sensitive about an area of their body that's developing right now. Like you're actually mm. talking about them right now. Mm. I was talking about someone else's body or what's going to happen when you're yeah. a bit older. You're talking about them. And do you feel the same about talking about sex? Because I feel like in our house, we've really tried to just have very open conversations about sex from the start. Because obviously as a four, five, six-year-old you, as you said, they just take it as fact. It's not embarrassing. They don't really, like, is that is that the same thing? You just kind of start it and it just is? It's exactly the same thing. But the challenge with it is, is they only understand what they're cognitively able to at that time. Mm. So probably when they're starting to come into, you know, that 12-year-old and into high school, you're going to have to have information update conversations. Mm. And talking about sex becomes a lot more complicated because now we're talking mm. about a whole range things like their online life and consent Mm. and we're we're talking about values and now's the time to just layer like and just infuse your values all over the conversations that you're having because they'll question them and probably move away from them a bit when they're teenagers Mm. it's this stage where they're like a sponge they're going to absorb everything that you've got to say so get in early exactly with sex as well and it's just little things like saying to kids instead of saying you know sex is when a man puts a penis inside of a woman's vagina or whatever, just even things like a woman allows a man to Mm. or can help that happen. It's just those little shifts that sort of update the type of conversations that we've had with our parents that bring more respect around them. How do you have the conversation around, I guess, masturbation and, you know, because that's going to happen around But I actually 13. don't think statistically that people are having sex younger. Isn't it that a huge percentage of kids nowadays are actually not having sex till 18, 19, 20? Oh, my gosh, that is so <laughs> great they, to hear. But sex and sexual activity is different. So, okay, yeah. so we're talking about sexual intercourse in some of the stats you're referring to. Yeah. But sexual activity, I'm really surprised. I was in a grade six classroom last week talking to two 10-year-olds, one girl and one boy, and I said to them, tell me about the, you know, the romance scene in grade six. The 10-year-old girl's like, oh, yeah, there's so much pressure to couple up and they give each other ship names, which means they combine uh, you know, oh, say, a, yeah, yeah. say a boy and girl's name together. So if it was Zane and Jess, it might be Zess. Jane. Yeah, Zess. Yeah. Or yeah. Like <laughs> yeah. And she said there's so much pressure to couple up. And then the boy said, but girls get really full on about it. And they're into it much more than us as boys. And they ask us to take them shopping. They ask us to go to their house. They say, do you want to kiss me? Do you want to hold my hand? Do you want to be my boyfriend? And we have to work out whether we do the right thing 
or we risk having a big blow up and a big argument with that girl at school. So because our girls are developing about 18 months earlier than our boys, it's often our girls driving the ship at this Mm. young age. And I think we've got to be aware of that. We have so much talk about our boys, but I think our, our girls are sort of streaks ahead in some ways in this area. So we back to masturbating or yeah, what, yeah, what yeah, are we doing? Yeah. Let's yeah, go yeah, masturbation. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's important. It is really It's the important. uncomfortable conversation that and needs to be had. especially with girls too. Like I never, yeah. when I was younger, ever heard of a female masturbating. And I remember the first time I realised that that felt good and I was just kind of like, anyone else know about this? <laughs> like, this is great. I have But you know something. what? It had always been like guys doing it into a sock in their yeah. bedroom. You know, like it was It was never girls. When do they start to feel these things? Well, they feel it now. Yeah. Like as in my girls, you can tell now, know that that feels good. I just mean like when does it become like a sexualized thing and I guess it comes back to masturbation and having that conversation because that's the first step into this area. I think for some families they're having those conversations with their kids when they're two, three and four and they start touching themselves in public and Mm -hmm. they talk about that being a private thing and yes, their body does feel good there and that's exactly what your body's supposed to feel like there but that's not something for a public place it's for a private place so I think that is the core of that conversation and trying to normalize it and I say to boys your body's making so many sperm that it it is impossible for it to absorb it all so it is going to come out through your penis Mm. And, and you know and then you have conversations from there and you know there's always one that sort of elbows the kid next to them like yep that's me you know, <laughs> do we set them up with something? Because obviously it has to go somewhere. But I don't want to be like that mum from Mean Girls who's like having sex. You want a cookie? Like, yeah. But like, but, you know, it has to go somewhere. And like, yeah, you have to wrap it with respect for them yeah. and other people and that sense of values. And everyone's values in their home are going to be slightly different. But when we're talking to kids about anything to do with their bodies or sex. We're not just talking about science. We're talking about the values that accompany that mm-hmm. because that helps the expression of it in the world. So, yeah, that's that's super, super important that we know our values and what we want for our kids and that we try and communicate those in a way that's respectful for them and, and has got an understanding that they're going to have their own views and ideas as they grow as well and that, that creates its own complications. <laughs> but literally, I don't have a boy, so I don't really – need to worry about this but like do you <laughs> say to them just go in a sock or do you just ignore and just pick up the pile of socks in the corner and just wash them and you don't need to have that conversation absolutely or you can just put your sheets next to the machine or you teach it or you say to them it's a really good idea at your age to learn how to use a washing machine and to be yeah, able to wash sure, it can just whenever do it. you want yeah. it so make it a skill that they're learning but yeah, they sorry, can wash their socks socks they can wash your body shoes. socks yourself <laughs> what about girls and bodily fluids when they start coming out at what age does that happen and how do you go about that conversation with them because if they're on their own and especially I guess when you have a period you look down and you're like what is this and I feel like they kind of know what a period like what's expected there but we also have a lot going on when does that start yeah that that can start like the, the adrenal androgens that start to kick in is like eight and nine 
So a lot of girls get really worried about that kind of, you know, talking about discharge. Yeah. They think it's their periods. And so they don't know the difference. And so parents like the eight is a perfect age. They're just still kid-like tweens. They really will be able to do the journey with you a little bit more and be able to answer their individual body questions. And you say to them, look, if I don't know, I can find out for you. But a really good resource Mm. goes a long way for kids at that age. Instead of them fretting and worrying about it on their own. Did that answer your question? It did. I feel like our house, personally, our household, we are very, very open. I mean, I was going to say that I don't walk around the house naked, but I actually do. So, but my parents never did. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, so yeah. if that was a thing, I'd be like, ooh, like I don't want to see that. But for me, we are very open in conversations. Yeah. They can I know, sorry, too much information. I can change a tampon. They see the tampon. They understand mum's got a period. They also see my pubes. Then they don't see my pubes and they're like, what happened to your pubes? I'm like, I got rid of them. And they're like, okay. So how old are your kids? So I've got a 10-year-old, a 9-year-old and a a 4-and-a-half-year-old. Okay. So there's going to be lots of kids that they're associating with that have the complete opposite experience at home. Right. That have never even seen a tampon or a pad. So with your listeners, like there's going to be so much variety within that. And I think that's really important for parents to know and understand as well when they go have their conversations on their playground. They're coming from such a different perspective. And that's why education mm. is so important. I've, I've sat with girls that have never even seen a pad and then had their periods and they're in the toilet at school crying because they don't know what's going on. Mm. So then that's, you know, I'm like, okay, we don't even need to call an ambulance. This is a good thing. Ooh, well, yeah. let's go. Let's it's just it's grown a celebration. Up yeah. Let's, let's have a, we're having a grown up moment. Now we've got a, a period party. What are we going to do? Yeah. Yeah. That's actually something that could be said before they get their period to be excited about it. Hey, blah, blah. When you get your period, I'm going to take you out and we are going to celebrate that, have dinner because it is a very, very special thing. So when they get it, instead of looking down going, what what the hell is this? They can actually go, mum's going to take me out and I'm going to get excited about this. And I think that's a beautiful way. And maybe within that, just saying, what would you like to do when you get your Yes, Yeah, because I was going to say, there's going to be some kids who are like, please do not celebrate this. Like if Auntie Anne finds out that you took me out for dinner because I've got my period, like that would be mortifying for them. Yeah, I like that. This age is all about giving them a voice and respecting that voice even when it's different than our voice. So we Mm. might like the period party or to celebrate the leg shaping. (laughs) I've been having this inner inner turmoil because I like to have a completely hairless vagina. Now I have three girls and I hate going to get it waxed. Like I wanted to do laser. And then I thought, oh, but is that bad if my girls, you know, because I'm similar to Jade that I'm very comfortable walking around naked, showering with the kids. I have no privacy on the toilet, whatever. I don't care. But I'm like, is that bad if they've never really seen me with a hair? And then when they go through puberty, I'm like, no, this is beautiful. It's natural. (laughs) Even though I've zapped all of mine away. Yeah. All right. Now this is, this is a question every mum asks. I have been asked this so many times. Okay. Yeah. This is a way I want you to wrap it up. Okay. Because Should we feel guilty for wearing makeup or for wanting to, you know, support a part of our body that we're, you know, not as comfortable with or whatever? 
I call it appreciating what is yours and however you want to appreciate Mm. and look after your body is okay. Mm. So it's about giving them autonomy and choice with their body. And this is what mum likes to do with her body, Mm. but it doesn't necessarily mean that you do. And it definitely doesn't mean that everyone else does. Great way to see it. Yeah, because I was, I had similar thoughts around makeup. And then we spoke to Casey about raising girls who like themselves. And she was like, it's fine if you want to wear makeup. It's fine if your kids want to experiment with makeup, as long as it's coming from a place of this is fun rather than I need to alter myself for others. Yeah, absolutely. And the reality is, is for them to develop a perception of themselves that's accurate, they actually need to take in a lot of feedback and a lot of other people's perspectives. And they need to wade through that. And sometimes they're letting go of an ideal version of themselves in the Mm. process of accepting who they really are. And that journey's tough. And I think they can't jump there overnight. You know, Mm. there's feedback that they get from the beauty industry that we don't want them to take on board. We want them to love themselves for who they are and then make decisions to look after their body the way they want to. But while they're learning to wade back that feedback, we're, we're sort of the middleman and we're actually just helping them think a bit critically about it all. So they're, they're not just bombarded by who they should be. Mm. And I guess that ties into the next question, which at 32, I'd like some strategies too, but strategies to help them stop caring as much what everyone else thinks of them. Is that just life? Mm, See, this one for me is I want them to care, but I want them to let go of the things that they don't deem to be helpful for them. Because if we breed kids that just walk around not caring about Mm. what anyone Mm. thinks, that's not the type of child that I want to raise. But I do want them to be able to go, you know what, that's not for me. So we want them to get into the listening position in life and actually accept the feedback that's coming at them, but Mm. be able to filter it. And when we sit with them at night in those vulnerable moments that we talked about, that's where we're helping them to filter out the feedback that's unhelpful. How do we go about peer pressure? Because this starts at a younger age and I have had a bit of a challenge with my middle child because she's extremely impressionable. She's not like my older one. And she, if someone tells her to do something, she'll most likely just do it. And she's extremely indecisive. So she'll just ask someone, what should I do? And I've been really trying to say, Billy, (laughs) what do you want? Like, what is it the Twix? or is it the Skittles? Which one do you feel like? And she really can't make that choice. And I am, I know it's a smaller scale, but I really want her to get to a point where she has her own choice and knows that she doesn't have to listen to uh, a whole group of girls or someone that's saying, go and do this for me. How do we how, how do we deal with peer pressure? I think the way you're doing that is beautiful, is giving her choice and option. And you want to do it as in as many things in life. You could even make her the boss of Fridays. So she gets Ooh. to, you know, choose what you do after school or what you eat for dinner or, and she has mm. a, a lot of voice and a lot of say over maybe the running of the house for one day of the week. That's great. That's even dinner. Idea. That takes the mental load off you yes. too. I kind of love that. <laughs> kids, three, three kids. Pearl's oh, nine Harry. months old. She can have Monday. Think of that. We've got seven days. I can have Harry on one dinner, Yumi on the other dinner, all making decisions. We're all happy one day a week. Yeah. That's great. I you love like that. that and I'm taking it home. <laughs> 
The other thing I do with this age group is I'll give them 10 options and I'll write it on a, on a board. And this is to do with friendships is, is what I normally do is I call them like, you know, friendship principles or um, wisdom from the tiny voice because it's meant to come from inside of them. But my words on the board can be a prompt and they can listen to their tiny voice and decide which one of those friendship principles are the right ones to apply right now. So we're giving them a framework to think in, but they still have to make a decision themselves. So can you give an example of the, yeah, yeah. I'd love to. So let's do three of the 10 principles Mm because it's just for time's sake. We might go, everyone's learning, so we need to apply grace. We might go, drop the rope, so it's time to walk away from conflict. Or we might go, space solves most things. Now, there's 10 different ones. Just say they have a fight with a friend at school. They don't know what to do. They're having trouble interpreting what's going on. You let them look at those principles Mm. on the wall and I say to them, let your tiny voice guide you. You've got a tiny voice inside of you, that instinct inside of you. Which one do you think might be your next best step now? And then I always ask them to choose a plan B because life's not that straightforward and relationships in grade five certainly aren't. And so then they've got options. Now, they might not be old enough to come up with everything from a baseline point of like just creating it from scratch, but they can pick options. And I think that's a really powerful way to work with this particular age group. Now, after they get 13, they, they're going to think you much fucked. more, com- <laughs> yeah. yeah, they're going to think more <laughs> complexly and they're going to be, their brain's going to be able to work out moves and what this person might do next and all the rest of it. When they're a bit younger, you need to give them a framework to work in. It's a, hmm. it's a fair playing field. And what are your thoughts and some strategies for this age with devices? Okay, this is a big one. I think we are always going to disagree about screens with our kids. We're different generations. I think we can expect this to be a conflict point the whole way through. I like to think of tech like literally a person. Like does my kid has a healthy relationship with tech? Does my child have mm. good relation boundaries with technology? Um, how much time are they spending with technology? <laughs> Just like they would any other relationship because our kids actually have a very personal relationship with tech. With this age, delay as long as possible. And please remember that curiosity is really heightened at this age because of this exponential kind of growth, this rapid growth. So if they're sexually curious, Google becomes a really dangerous place. So it's not mm. just when they get on tech, it's how. And it's the, you know, the filtering and the software and the communication that we have behind the scenes. And if they, like, obviously they're going to have friends that start to use TikTok and they're going to be on, you know, different like Roblox or whatever it is. I know that they want to be apart and they don't want to feel left out, but in terms of safety, I mean, we've already started going through this where we made a decision that Roblox was something that we weren't ready for her to do. We gave it a bit of a trial and we pulled back and went, no. She's already started asking when does she get a phone. And for me personally, until she is away and I mean like I'm having a coffee at a cafe and she might be down the other end with her friend or something like that, I really don't feel the need for her to have a phone. Because the scariest thing about social media, the internet and phones is as soon as we hand over this to them, I feel like as a parent, we really lose control. And that is terrifying because we grew up with 
all of this. I think our generation, we are well and truly aware of what it does and uh, what it can yeah. do. Yeah. But they, they're so pure and they don't understand. So when they're asking, hey, mum, can I just have a phone? Hey, mum, why can't I look at TikTok? It's like, babe, I can't even, like it's, what do we say? Your heart would break if you would hear the stories I hear from kids because they're reaching into things that they think are grown up and they're excited about, like going on to a a game that their 14-year-old brother goes on, but then they might stumble across pornography. And and I've had 10-year-olds come to me and say, Michelle, I'm I'm addicted to pornography. Uh, I know, 10-year-olds. And I found a link on a game site and I'm looking at it every day. And they've got such incredible language to express what's going on in their world. They're looking for a safe place to land that language. I've had girls who have set up TikTok accounts behind their parents' back and have been sent multiple like nudes from, you know, a profile that looks like it's a 50-year-old male and have come to me and said, this is what's happened. I went to my older sister. We deleted him off my account, but now he's back on. And the understanding that that's an unsafe person has just kind of hit them like a developmental gust all at once. Yeah. And they're just melting down, realizing that that's not a safe place for them to be in. So, But probably often too scared maybe to go to their parents because they don't want to lose access completely. She didn't want TikTok to get taken off her. And I said, safe or TikTok? And she looked at me and I said, you know what, your mum would be pretty irresponsible if she didn't choose safe. And and she's 10. So she she laughed. And yeah. And look, what child ever doesn't want their own way, you know? And I Mm, don't think we're mm. ever going to be completely able to get around that where we create this sort of open friendship kind of concept that our kids are going to be able to just share everything with us and they're going to feel like they can get their own way. It's not going to happen. But I think it's what we do when we find out that they're not safe that makes all the difference. So we don't shame them. We don't judge them. We don't come down harsh on them. What we do is we go, hey, there's nothing you and I can't work through together and what do we need to do to make this right and how are you feeling about this right now and this is how I'm feeling about it and as your mum this is what I need to be doing so then Mm. again having that what I call in charge energy to actually take the reins and move things forward to get them back in a safe place love that and finally what do we do when we get to that stage whether it is talking back or they're just more speaking like in one syllable answers or slamming doors and yeah and how can we do we just keep trying even though we're annoying that's the that's the crushing us feeling that's the feeling where we need them more than they need us I have given you so much and all you will respond with is "Uh." Uh, I know and I'm just missing those times when you were little and we would just hang out and talk and it would be fun and you wanted to be with me and then all of a sudden they're not and they're really hard I um I think teenage just still do, do need to firmly know that there's a healthy expression for every emotion and mm. that you can't just do whatever you feel like doing that like yeah even though your friend wants to talk to you it's dinner time and you need to put that phone down and come to the table and I just feel like this balance between yes give them language yes validate how they feel but let's find a healthy expression for it and realize that our emotions are contagious and they impact everybody else in the yeah. house so that matters and that starts with teaching our kids 
kids when they're toddlers and when they're kids and when they're tweens and and yeah it's going to go a little wonky when they're teenagers but yeah but I think in the tween sense like they still really like my my children respond well to boundaries I feel like they feel safe in boundaries so if I let them stay on the iPad to play Tokoboka or whatever game they're playing yeah for like whatever they want it makes them I don't know they just they get lazy they don't feel their brains fry but when we have consistency you've got half an hour on that make it make it worthwhile you know and then we're going to stop that and then we can go do something else I don't care what it is and they'll go I'm bored good be bored you know it's like the little things of I guess bringing back to being a parent. That's our job. That is what we are supposed to be doing, giving them guidance, setting up boundaries so they understand that they're not on their own entirely just yet. No, and the consistency is the important thing. And that that wears on us when we get tired. And oh. yeah, doesn't it? Like it's oh, yeah, just I don't so do that every boring. day. You know what I mean? <laughs> Sometimes they it's smell just so fear, mundane. don't they? And they smell yeah. exhaustion and they're like, this is my they moment. Do. I'm gonna pick yeah. you off. Yeah. Keeping our in-charge energy up to a point where we can show up for our kids with that kind of, see that voice that you had? It's beautiful. You got half an hour, you're going to get up. And there's there's nothing harsh about it. It's it's just like this in-charge energy that says mama's on the job. And I think of it like just keeping our batteries charged so when my voice does project, it's got some pep and our kids know that we mean it. Yes. The mum voice is a real thing. They don't listen unless I am in that tone. And that tone doesn't need to be nasty. It's like, who's brushed their hair? Who's packed their lunch? Have you done this? Have you done that? But if I'm like, who has actually brushed their hair? They're like, I'm just going to keep watching cartoons. She's not in that mode. I would say to my boys, I want that dishwasher unpacked. And the only answer I'm I'm, I'm going to accept is yes, mum. Yeah, I'm that. I'm where you are yes, but right mom. now. Yeah. My my husband said recently we had a family meeting. Girls, when I ask you to do something, you don't reply, no, it's not mine. I shouldn't have to, or not just yet, or no, I'm not doing it. It's a simple yes, dad. That's it. He's not asking for them to, you know, build a house. He's asking them to pick up their clothes off the floor, hang up the towel. It's these little little life skills that they just need to start realizing. And he says the more that he, they do it, he's going to l- ask less, so he won't be as annoying. I'm in that stage though, where my near six year old goes, but I'm the boss of my own body, <laughs> and I'm like, and they aren't they cute? She's learned how to use this <laughs> phrase that is meant to keep her safe, yeah, and yeah. you know in control to be used against us and I get stumped every time because I'm like this is true but (laughs) pick up your shit (laughs) you say you can be the boss of your body but I'm in boss of the whether the towels are on the floor or hung up yeah love that and and that six they'll go okay (laughs) yeah yeah that makes sense yeah like as in like they're not they're not thinking about um the way you're thinking about their safety they're just yeah yeah, they're just uh, yeah and I think not everything has to be a negotiation with kids and I just love it when I see parents go hey I'm, I'm your mama I'm, I'm your dad and 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 I'm going to step up and be that because it just creates such a sense of connection and safety with kids they can't get that anywhere else and it's that consistency that helps them thrive. My last final question to you is is this the age where they 
don't want to play with dad or dad becomes like if it's a daughter dad becomes like or is that more of the teenage years because I'm starting to see it and it kind of breaks my heart because it's like he doesn't have sons so Yumi our last child she froths on dad like yeah let's do this but the other two are like nah they're getting to that stage where they're like oh dad do you have to pick me up from school yeah I think it's very different for every child and I think personalities and temperaments come into it as well but I think it's really Typical for particularly boys to really want to gravitate to their dads and girls, vice versa. It's just that mm. kind of same sex thing. It's that that kind of security there, I think, of that common interests and common bonds. But hit the teenage years, and I often see girls pulling away from their mums. So enjoy it ah. while you've got it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Noted. And go towards the dad if it's a heterosexual, you know, yeah, uh, right. like mum and dad family. Go towards the dad or just go towards no one. Or go towards no go towards their room <laughs> and their friends. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> their room becomes their mum. Or the oh, person I love that. that's gonna give them less grief. And is karma, which is actually often their dad's. Yeah. Can yeah. I just say on that note, we have realized that, and my dad said this, this is his tip to us as parents. He doesn't like getting involved in people's relationships, but he did say this. If there's anything you can do as a parent, you need to be a united front. The time that you they see a break in difference between you and your partner, they will go in for the attack and know that they've got one of you. You always have to stand united. And I remember that as soon as they worked that out, I was like, shit, i got nowhere to stand yeah. anymore. Yep, they smell fear. They're in there. Yeah. Yeah, I knew my dad was the weak one always. And I would like start off by asking mum being like, I don't know, she's going to say no, but I know I'm just going to ask that. And he'll (laughs) say yes. Thank you so much. I have loved this Mm. conversation. It's really an area of development that I knew so little about and thought it was kind of when you can just let them be. But I think (laughs) it's quite nice to know like, no, they're still kids. They still need us. And they're still going through a massive change and transition at this time. Yeah. The most rapid stage of growth since they were toddlers and they're looking for us to invest in it. So it's a, it's a huge skill building time. Thank you so much. We'll have to have you on for a teen, teenage section. Oh, that'll be fun. Yeah. (laughs) Yes, it will. I'll have plenty of questions. Don't you worry. (laughs) Thank you so much. Thanks heaps, guys. Thanks for listening to this episode of Beyond the Bump. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe and give us a review. If you didn't, good on you. You can also follow us on Instagram at beyondthebump.podcast to stay up to date on behind the scenes and future episodes. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.